Amen. He is the only one worthy of that praise. He's the only one worthy of our worship. Praise God for that. Can you imagine the chaos? Well, you don't have to imagine it. You see it in the world without a belief in one true God. But the order and the peace that that brings, what a blessing. What a blessing. I have a question for you opening the sermon this morning. What does it mean to know someone? And it's a rhetorical question. I'm not looking for a raise of hands or anything like that. But hopefully from the notes last Sunday and you thought through the week what it really means to know someone. I ask you another question. Do you know me? You know, we're just about three months into this new chapter of me being the lead pastor here at Providence, of our family being here and fellowshipping with you. You know, before we came, it's a small community. Many of you knew about me. You knew facts about me. Some of you I had relationships with. Some of you, a number of you are family. But I came to realize just in working specifically with Alex, as close as we worked the last few months, even being a first cousin, just building a relationship with him. It's been a blessing. But you knew facts about me. You knew it was the crazy blind guy that delivered his own son. You knew those facts before I came. You knew where I worked. You knew where I came from. You knew my parents. You knew different facts about me, but the majority of you didn't know me in the sense of a relationship with me. You, you are getting to know me now. And I have appreciated the opportunity to build relationships with you as the opportunity presents itself, as working in different committees or just greeting on Sunday mornings or different times we meet, just involvement with each of you. And it has been a blessing, and I long to continue that, to build those relationships. Because when you truly know someone, you have a relationship with them. You have relationships with your spouses. You have relationships with your brothers and sisters. You have relationships with your parents. You have relationships with your friends. Why? Because you actively seek to get to know them deeper, to understand them, to relate to them. That's what knowing someone is. And that's what we want to look at this morning. I, I enjoy biographies. I think I've mentioned that before here already. I, I love to read biographies. I love to watch biography uh, documentaries on television. I don't get to know those people to, as, on a relationship level by reading their biographies or watching those biographies. I get to know facts about their lives. I get to see a little bit about how they became who they became, what life circumstances brought them to that point. But I don't have relationships with those people. Relationship is the key. That's the key to building, to, to caring for each other, to knowing each other, to being able to reach out to each other, to being able to support each other, to walk with each other through trials, through hard times, through the things we face. That's a deep understanding and a knowing of a person, of another person. And that's what we want to look at this morning partially. The text we'll be looking at is Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 11. Whenever you're ready, Daryl. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. 
But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to know you. We thank you for the privilege to have a relationship with you, Father. God, I pray that you would just open our hearts, open our minds to the truth that you have in this scripture this morning, Lord. God, to understand partially what gets in the way of that relationship, that deep understanding, that knowledge of you, Father, and being able to identify it, and being able to put it at the foot of the cross, Father to grow closer and deeper in relationship with you, Lord. Just guide us through this text. Open our hearts, open our minds, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you see in your notes that we have basically two topics, then and now. And the then and now is relating to the Galatians. The then and now was before and after they had understood and received the gospel. So it's not a then as in Bible times and a now as in contemporary modern times now. It's a then and now as it relates to the Galatians is what we're looking at. Paul opens this section of Scripture by saying formerly. And that is the then. He's talking about a time before they understood the gospel, before they knew the gospel. He tells them that they did not know God. We've talked about what it, know, what it means to know a person what it means to know a person in a, in a human relationship. But what does it mean to know God? God is not a physical person that we have a relationship with that we can physically call on a phone or sit down and have lunch with or wherever the circumstance may be. God's not a physical person like that because he's God. So what does it mean to know God? Well, just like people, you can know about God and not really know him. To have an intimate, deep fellowship with him. You can know details about God. You can read the entire Bible. You can memorize the Bible. And not have a relationship with God. There are those who have made an effort to do that for the purpose of disproving it. Maybe not necessarily to memorize it. But they've studied it thoroughly from the point of view of trying to prove it wrong. They did not allow the Holy Spirit to change their hearts. They had other motives looking into it. So we can have a knowledge of God and not know God. We can have an academic understanding of God and not know Him personally in a relationship status. Because to know God is to have an intimate, personal relationship with Him. Do you think the Galatians had heard about God? Do they have some knowledge of God? The disciples were going around and we're going to look at a, at a story out of Acts where they had been told about him. They'd seen different things. They'd heard different things. So they knew facts about God. I believe they did. But they didn't have a relationship with him. He goes on to tell them, back in this time before you knew God, you were basically enslaved to those who are, by nature, not gods. What does he mean by in nature, by their nature? 
One commentator, one commentator translates it as naturally. Just by their makeup, by what they were, by definition, they were not gods. Acts chapter 14, that's where we want to go to look at a little story, to look at a story about how they related to their gods and how they tried to make sense of things. We're coming into the story with Paul and Barnabas and on one of their missionary journeys. They were going to Lystra, and Lystra was in Galatia. And if you remember, when we started into our study of Galatians, we're not exactly sure which part of the Middle East these Galatians were in. There's two different regions that they could have been coming out of. But this Lystra was in one of these areas of the Galatians. And Paul and Barnabas went into this area to minister. And while they were there, they healed this man. They healed this crippled man. Well, the crowd at Lystra tried to make sense of this. And what do we do? When we see something that we've never seen before, when we see something happen, we try to make it fit into a box that we're, we're familiar with, don't we? And that's what the people here in Lystra tried to do. It's like, how could these men heal this man? This made no sense to them. So they went to what they knew, to what they had been taught, to what they'd grown up understanding. And they called them what? They called them Zeus and Hermes. Because these were two gods that they had been taught to worship. Because they'd been taught to worship multiple gods. There was a god of the sky and a god of the water and just endless. God of the sun endless number of gods. They, they assigned a god to every individual thing. So they were trying to put this in a box. How could these men perform this miracle? It's not possible unless, of course, they are gods. Well, Paul and Barnabas' response to them was, well, we are only men. We are not gods. We are not where you're trying to make us out to be. In verse 15 of chapter 14, he tell, they tell them, Turn from these worthless things. These worthless things were their false gods. They were looking to teach them, to show them you know, what, what you're worshiping, what you're following are worthless. They're pointless. They have no power. They have no ability to do what we just did. What they were worshiping were wooden idols. They created wooden idols to represent these gods that they worshiped, the gods that they trusted to deliver them from whatever they faced. And these are the things that, the, that Paul and Barnabas were telling them that were worthless. Remember one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. These beings, as I said, had no divine power. By their nature, they were not gods. That's what Paul was telling them. They had no deity. They had no divine power. By their nature, they were just objects. They were just made-up gods. That's what Paul and Barnabas were trying to teach them. And you think about these gods, and you look at the, the commandment that I just read, that these gods, these gods didn't only have to relate to these carved images that they had created. They didn't only have to relate to Zeus and Hermes. These gods could refer to the principles and to the pursuits of life. Principles would be something like doctrines, the doctrines of life. And you think of doctrine, you probably think of biblical doctrines. Well, we can be indoctrinated in all kinds of different belief systems. 
So when he talks about, when we talk about principles, we talk about, and, and Paul will use the word principles later, but when we're talking about principles, we're talking about doctrines, the doctrines that we put our trust in, you know, if we live this certain way, then everything will be good. When we achieve certain pursuits in life, everything will be okay. Those are gods in themselves, and that's what Paul's trying to relate to the people. Bring it to a contemporary, a more modern, meet us where we are today. Our gods can be our careers. They can be our relationships. They can be our possessions. You know, it's amazing how quickly, how quickly our possessions can, can, can change from something that we possess to something that possesses us. And that's what Paul is relating to these people. These gods control you. They're false, they're worthless, they're pointless, but they control you. You allow them to control you. But looking at these, just the three items that I listed, and there's many more categories, I guess you could say, for us today. But looking at careers. All these gods, they, can, they come due to their ignorance of God. These people didn't know God. They didn't, they, like I said, they had a knowledge, they had some academic knowledge of God, but they didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with God. They were ignorant. And it made them slaves to something less than this God that they were ignorant of. Now, when I use the word ignorant, sometimes the word ignorant can be, can be taken as a slam. I'm here to tell you this morning that I'm ignorant of a lot of things. There's things that I just don't have any knowledge of. And we have to admit that as human beings. We, we can't be, have a full understanding of everything in this world. There's things in, our, in this world that we're ignorant of. I'm n- ignorant of uh, many things. Nuclear science would be one of them. I have no idea how they figured all that out. And that's okay. It's not where God has put me. But these people were ignorant of the one true God. All they knew were these false gods. What they didn't understand was that there was only one true God. One God to serve, one God to love us. They didn't understand that they needed to cast out all of these false gods yet. And to worship anything else besides that one true God means false worship. It means slavery to sin when we worship anything but the one true God. Because you see, whatever we worship, we will be slaves to it. You say we're talking about career, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about possessions. You say, I don't worship my career. I don't sing songs to my career. I don't pray to my career. It sounds foolish to relate it that way, doesn't it? You say, well, I don't worship my career in that way. No, you don't in that way. But what is to truly worship something? You know, as you sang those songs this morning, as you lift your prayers to God, as you put your faith in Him, what are you doing? You're putting your hope in Him. Now ask yourself this morning, do you put your hope in your career? Do you put your hope in your relationships? Do you put your hope in your possessions? We want to talk about each of those individually. You see, if we put our hope in our career, we will be controlled by our career. We'll want to work enough hours to move up the ladder. 
We want to do a good enough job that we'll make enough money that we can be financially independent. That's translated as putting our hope in our career. Putting our hope in our ability to make money. Putting our hope in our ability to move up the corporate ladder. Well, what happens if we come up short? If we don't get the promotion because of our own inadequacy or maybe even unfairness because that does happen too. But when we put our, fo- our faith and we put our hope in our careers, when we come up short because of whatever reason, we will be devastated. Because when we've hung all our hopes on that career and making enough money to be comfortable, making enough money to do what we want, to be able to retire, when it fails us, we'll be devastated because there's nothing solid to stand on in that. And on the flip side, if we get enough, Say we put in all those hours. We work 80 hours a week. We work our way up the ladder. We even get up to where we run the company. Well, guess what? We don't own the company. We're not going to be content. When we put our hope completely in our careers, now does that mean it's wrong to move up in our, in our careers? No, it's not. The reality is the world needs people to run companies. We need, career, we need jobs to support our families, to have opportunities for ministry to support ministries. We need CEOs of companies. We need owners of companies. But as Christians, when we're in those positions, we need to hold loosely to those positions. And when we are truly putting our hope and our trust in a deep knowing, a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, if that company goes bankrupt, if we get fired... If we don't get the promotion we thought we deserved, it's not the end of the world. It's resting in the sovereignty of God that He is in control. He's got it. In our flesh, that's not always easy. If we put our hope in human relationships, what does that get us? Will we be controlled by those too? If we're looking to say the right things or do the right things to get the girl or to get the guy if we're looking to please our parents by fulfilling their expectations, yes, we're to honor our parents. But we're not to put our hope in them. Because what happens when we put our hope in a relation, a human relationship, well, they're human just like we are. Sometimes we forget that. We're not as forgiving to them as we want people to be forgiving to us. But how many people have you seen put their hope, put their trust in a human relationship, and what happened? They're devastated. Because that person is going to fail them, sometimes in a small scale, sometimes in a really, really big scale. But if we haven't put our faith totally in them, when that happens, if that happens, we're not going to be devastated. It's not going to be the end of our world because why? We put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ and know that even through the most dire of circumstances, He's there, even if no one else is. And again, what if everything goes perfect in our relationships? It's not going to. Because at least half of that relationship, in my case, isn't perfect. So the relationship's not going to be perfect. And let me clarify, when I say that, I'm the one that's not perfect. But in relationships, they're going to fail us. But suppose they don't. Suppose we get the girl... 
Suppose as a girl you, you get the attention of the captain of the football team. It's a safe analogy. Barry doesn't have a football team, right? Suppose you get the captain of the football team. Is it all going to be good then? Maybe for a time. But guess what? Even if your relationship goes perfectly, if you're putting your faith and hope in that someone else is going to have a relationship, then in some aspect it's going to be better than the one you have and you're going to be discontented because you want what they have. Even though you have so much, it's not perfect and you're going to want more. Why? Because you're putting your soul hope in that relationship and it will not succeed to fulfill you. If we put our hope in possessions... They, too, will control us. We may go out and get the latest and greatest truck, the fanciest sports car, what's only going to be the newest for a very, very short time. It's only going to go without a scratch or a dent or an imperfection for a very short time. Someone else is going to build a bigger house than we have. Someone else is going to put fancier things in their house than we have. It may even burn down. We may lose it in bankruptcy. Someone else, we may pull, up to, may pull up to the store and so proud of our car and so tickled with it. And guess what? Somebody pulls up right next to us with a, just a little bit better car. And that just totally deflates where we put our hope, where we put our identity when we put it in possessions. You see, that's where the Galatian people had been. We know that they were putting their hope in false gods, whether it be Zeus or Hermes, whether it be their careers, who they knew in society, who they had relationships with, what possessions they had. That's where they were before they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they were looking for their fulfillment in those false gods. And now we go to the now. We say, but now. After they have accepted Jesus Christ. Paul says, you have come to know God. He is testifying that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've come to know God. He goes even farther, he says, or to be known. This is a huge truth. He says, you know, you come to know God, or better yet, to be known by God. What does he mean? In John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, this is Jesus speaking, and I know the Father, And I lay down my life for the sheep. God is, Jesus is relating the fact that we know Him and He knows us to His relationship with the Father. What a beautiful gift we have in that. To know that our relationship with Jesus is related directly to His relationship with His Father. The reality, though, is that our knowing of God, our deep, intimate relationship with God wavers. And it goes back to that human factor. We do things like the Galatians people were doing, putting our faith in other idols, in, in objects, in, in things of this world, in relationships and careers of this world. And it puts a distance between us. 
That happens. It occurs. We depend on ourselves. We get an autopilot. And it causes our intimacy to fluctuate. And then what we do is we think that, well, if our intimacy is fluctuating, if we're drifting away from God, then surely he's drifting away from us. And he's not. God is there waiting for us. When we have accepted him as our Savior, when we have understood the full gospel message, God is there waiting for us. When we drift away a little bit, He's waiting for us. He knows us intimately. He knows our hearts. That's why he allows circumstances to come in to clear out those dark areas of our hearts, to purge out the chaff. Because he loves us that much and he sees those dark areas much more clearly than we do. And what Paul's relating to the Galatian people is, even though you guys are doing this, even though you're drifting a bit, God's there. He still knows you. He's intimately associated with you. What a beautiful truth that was for the Galatians. What a beautiful truth it is for us today. He asked them then, how can you, as Galatian people, how can you fall to these weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Throws a lot of adjectives in there, doesn't he? You think he's trying to make a point? These things that you're signing up for, that you've bought into, are so beneath this God, this God that knows you, this God that knows your heart, this God that has an intimate relationship with you. These things are so beneath him. How can you turn to them? That's what Paul's asking them. He goes on in verse 10 to describe him in detail, days and Months and seasons and years. He's talking about the different elements of sacrifice and ritual that they go through that they signed up for. He's trying to illustrate to them how beneath God this is. He's telling them you're signing up to base your salvation, to base your hope on achievements, your own achievements on your own ability to be moral, upon your religion. He's asking them, why are you doing this? I ask you this morning, are you a religious person? Have you ever been called a religious person? To me, it's not a compliment. When you truly understand what a religious person is, Satan wants us to be religious. He wants us, being religious means it's to me, translates to doing it under my own power. I do everything I need to do to be a Christian. That, for, that therefore makes me a Christian. We can be religious about a lot of things. We can re- be religious about our daily schedules, what time we get up in the morning, how much coffee we drink, what kind of coffee we drink, where we go for breakfast. We can be religious about all kinds of things like that. And we can be religious about our faith. And being religious about our faith puts our faith in our works in how many songs we sing, how many hours we spend in prayer, how often we attend church. You see, the Galatians were being sold out to this thought of being religious to the law and following Moses' law to the letter. And that's what they, that's what they were being told they had to do. 
And that's what Satan wants us to think. He wants us to think we have to do it. He wants us to think that we have to save ourselves. Why? Because he knows we can't do it. So he's trying to trick us into signing up for something that is doomed to failure. Because ultimately that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to fail. And that's what the Judaizers were selling. Whether they realized it or not, they were selling definite failure. And that's what the Galatians were being coerced into. And Paul was telling them that this was a false god. This following of the law, this religion that the Judaizers were trying to sell them was a false god, just like the gods that they were serving before they came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he was trying to open their eyes to that. And they were very confused. Why? It goes back to putting God in a box. We go back to the, to the story in Acts chapter 14. This idea of following law and following rules seemed natural to them. Well, this makes sense to us. If we just follow some rules, we'd be good. And that's why they were signing up for it. That's why they were believing it. The reality is this idol, this religious idol, this idol of following the law was more dangerous to the Galatians than the idols that they were serving before they came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it pulled in elements of their faith and tried to trick them with it. It tried to convince them that this isn't a different religion. This is this what you need to do to serve the God that you've accepted. It gave them a very false hope. It gives us a false hope today when we put our faith in religious things, in false gods, whatever they may be. It gave them a false, eternal hope. They thought they could save themselves. And that was much more dangerous than these false idols before they came to know God. Yes, these were false gods. But those gods were so imperfect that they were doomed to fail them. Why? Because primarily and definitely because they weren't the one true God. But Paul's trying to open their eyes to the fact that they were being exposed to just a different form of the same false gods that they were serving before they came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Are you worshiping something other than God this morning? Is it being disguised as a good thing? You know, there are a lot of good things out there that we can put in the place of God. You know, if I succeed at this task, you know, I'm, a, I'm a good father, I'm a good, I'm a good wife, this is you talking to yourself, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a good, I'm good at my job, I do well at, at the career that I'm in, and I'm, I'm glorifying God in that. Sadly, sometimes we just tack that I'm glorifying God in this on the end just to justify ourselves. Because reality is it's about us. Reality is we put our faith in that job. We put our faith in human relationships. We put our faith in possessions. You know, the possession thing's a little easier to peg than the relationship or the career thing. 
for whatever reason, when we're putting our faith in tangible items, it seems a little easier to say, oh, that's, that's not right, and I, I shouldn't do that. We still do it. But it's easier to identify it in people. But I ask you this morning, what, what are you putting in the place of God? What is Satan using to distract you? What is Satan causing you to put your hope in? Is it your career? Is it your human relationships? You know, those things even carry over after you have the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your possessions can be God's in your life even after you've come to know God. Because Satan uses the things that are appealing to our flesh to attract us, to detour us. And just because you struggle with those things doesn't mean you're condemned by any means. It means you need to identify them. You need to call them what they are, and you need to say, these are taking the place of God in my life. It does not mean that they are bad things in themselves. As we talked about, the law itself is written on our hearts. And it's an internal gift given to us that works from the inside out instead of the outside in like it used to. So this law that, that the Galatians were signing up for in itself is not a bad thing. But the bad thing was that they were putting their faith in it. So again, I ask you, what are you putting your faith in? What false gods are you trusting in? Is it your career, your relationship, your possessions? Category that I haven't touched. Or are you trusting God to be all that you need? Are you going to Him for your living water, for the strength to get through each day? Or are you trusting in things of this world that are tangible, that you can see, that you can touch, that you can experience? You can experience God. I challenge you with that this morning. When you fully put your trust and hope in Him, I ask you this morning, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you trust Him? I encourage you this morning to examine your life. Look for the false gods in your life. Look for the things that you are putting above God that you are trusting in. Satan has a habit of using accolades. Oh, you're doing so well at your job. Um, you're, you're so successful. Oh, I see... Uh, you, you have a, an interest there um, with a girl or a boy and encouraged in that. Or sadly, even at times where, oh, you're, you're 25 years old, you're 30 years old, you're not dating anyone. That's okay. Don't let them make those gods in your life. Satan wants to pick you apart in that way. He wants to put anything he can in the place of God, the one true creator God. He wants to distract you. He wants to deceive you in any way he can to take you away from that true, deep, personal fellowship relationship with Jesus Christ. I encourage you this morning to search your hearts. And if you do not have that relationship, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to search your hearts. And not to be in despair when you start identifying things in your life that actually take a place, the place ahead of God. Because that's another tool of Satan. He wants to discourage you and say, you can't do this. 
you, you have so many idols. You have so many things you put before God. You're just hopeless. You're, it's not even worth beginning, not even worth starting. It's another lie he tells you because the reality is you identify those things. You lay them at the foot of the cross and you invite God into your heart to be the Lord of your life. It doesn't mean he's going to take all those things away from you, but he's going to give you a new perspective with them. That is my prayer for you this morning.